Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, well great to see you today. We have, uh, we are in a series called, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount called The Good Life, and we're learning what Uh, Jesus means by what it means to be a good person and how to, and from him, how to learn what it looks like to live a good life. And it's been a lot to take in. We just got to the first topic uh, over the last few weeks on anger, and I was planning to go to the next topic, which is adultery. Uh, seems a little heavy for a day, like today. Uh, And the last two weeks have proven to be a little bit emotionally heavy, and I wasn't personally ready to go there. So uh, just didn't feel right. And so after some conversations I've had, I thought we would process a little bit more about what we've learned and what we are feeling and what we are experiencing in this talk because we're just beginning it. We've got a long way to go. What we're going to learn today is something that I think is valuable as we go through this entire, um, in, entire teaching that Jesus gives us. The very nature of anger, its emotion has these just incredible depths and layers and damage that requires some processing. Remember, Jesus is aiming at the deepest levels of who we are, which means just stopping behavior is not adequate to be a good person or to live a good life. So he wants to transform us at that deep level And so it makes sense that you have to think deeply. Does that make sense? You have to think deeply. And when you do, i got to tell you, you discover things, if you're going to do that, that have to be processed a little bit. Um, So God doesn't just want to reveal what's in our hearts. You know, we've been looking at this image right here. And saying God doesn't just want us to obey laws. He wants to address this issue. He wants to address us at a deeper, at a deeper level. And what's happening is, is he's revealing that we have bigger problems. That's being, we're being exposed. But, but he doesn't just want to expose and reveal. He wants to heal that. He wants to heal it as well. The gospel, what Jesus is offering, the gospel, has to be able to penetrate to that level. It's not a gospel that just keeps you obeying laws. It's got to be a gospel that penetrates deeply into our hearts. Um, And what I've learned about the topic of anger over the years is a lot of anger stems from self-hatred. And again, you might not tag that 
self-hatred. It might not consciously come to you as I don't like myself or I'm mad at myself, but that's what it is. And then you project it out on others. You project that anger at yourself out on others. And that's because anger is easier to feel than guilt. I'd rather feel anger than guilt. Guilt is incredibly overwhelming. Anger is kind of invigorating. It does the opposite of guilt. Makes you feel better. Makes you feel righteous. Makes you feel right. And we have been looking at, you, you can't help, in the New Testament, dealing with the topic of anger and not deal with Cain and Abel and Cain kills his brother. Why did he kill his brother? Guilt. His brother was righteous. He didn't meet the standard. What do you do? You kill your brother. He's mad at himself. He kills his brother. Guilt is incredibly debilitating emotion. Uh, One psychiatrist estimated that, that more than half of people in mental wards could be released today if they knew how to find forgiveness. Dr. Frederick Pearls, a humanistic psychologist, said that he could heal any psychotherapy in one hour if he could get his client not to feel guilty. And you remember Shakespeare? Better it were that all the miseries which nature owns were ours at once except guilt. Give us anything but guilt. So what I want to do is just sort of devotionally, if you will. We're out of the Sermon on the Mount. We're breathing a little bit. Sort of in a devotional way, if I can, deal with the problem of self-condemnation. It's the problem of self-condemnation. Now, that'll make a little more sense. And believe it or not, this topic gets addressed in the topic of anger and love, which is what we've been addressing, which is just remarkable. Uh, so let's, let's, let me show you what I mean. Because John in 1 John is going to address the issue. Now notice what happens here. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Here's the standard. Now John, just so you know, raises this standard in just five chapters to a level so high, it, it's, it's, like, it's as if he's expounding in five chapters on everything Jesus meant about what it means to love people. And the standard is astronomically, it's overwhelming. It's incredibly demanding. The opposite, we've been saying, of living with a loving heart is living with an angry heart. And guess what he brings up? Guess who he brings up? Cain. Again, who had an evil heart and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? His deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He didn't match up. Guilt. We're getting even deeper into Cain's psyche. This is not something we've, you fully grasp. John expounds on that for us. 
So you see, you have this very high demand of, for love, and it turns out human beings have a very, very, very difficult time loving well. And we can't always deliver on this high standard. We don't love each other well enough. And there's a deficiency of love in every one of us. We don't love adequately, and we have our own deficiencies. And they create an incredible stew. So all of a sudden, I have this very high standard that I clearly don't meet. And John is saying, if you get to be like Cain and you realize you don't meet up to that standard, you'll do a lot of damage because it's devastating to not measure up. In any category of life, and then we, we get angry and we take it out on others. Anger is a second emotion. It's not a first emotion. You always feel something else before you feel anger. It's hurt, ego bruising, irritated, embarrassed, devastated. You always feel something before you feel anger. And guilt is the worst. And then it becomes just a sick cycle. And you sabotage everything in your life. And so John, who just cannot lower the standard just because of what we've been learning, he says in verse 18 right after this, we have to love each other. Not just in word or talk, but deed and in truth. I mean, this is the standard. And he's not going to lower it. But he recognizes its impact. And he's talking to, to people who are believers when he says that. So we understand the standard. He's not going to lower that. And, but then, notice this. What's his next verse after this? Put that demand up here. Um, this is an interesting phrase. By this, and what are we going to do now? What does that mean now? How do we know we're of the truth? And reassure our hearts before him. This is the phrase that John loves right here. How in the world are you going to help a heart when it realizes it doesn't meet that standard? Reassure our heart before him. Now, John links, he links the high standard in 18. Let's see if we can get there. He links the high standard uh, with a heart that can handle it. Sort of inner assurance. This is a very high value for John. And it needs to be high value for us. How do you put a heart at ease of guilt? So John here addresses the issue of conscience. 
in light of the great demands of love that we've been looking at in Matthew. Because there's this inner voice that reminds us how far we fall short. Our failed intentions. We intend to love. And we don't. And sometimes we're lazy. and We choose not to love. So what you're talking about here when you're going to deal with the issue of anger and really solving it and get to the bottom of it is this issue of sin management. How do I manage the fact that I'm a sinner with a standard this high in love? And I'm talking about my own failure and my own sin. And, and John says it next. That's what he's going to say next. Look, whenever your heart condemns us, just stop there because it's going to. Because your heart's going to condemn us. This is deadly when it happens, and it's debilitating when it happens. It's like self-incrimination, and it paralyzes us. We kind of pronounce judgment on ourselves. Your heart condemns you. It's kind of a legal judgmental term, like being in court, where the judge tells you you're condemned. It's your own heart telling you. Henry Nouwen said this, one of the great challenges of the spiritual life is to receive God's forgiveness. This is not easy to do. There's something in us humans that keeps us clinging to our sins and prevents us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. And this is a great line. Sometimes it even seems as though I want to prove to God that my darkness is too great to overcome. That's a real subtle, brilliant thing about human beings. Sometimes when we feel bad enough about ourselves, we just drive that point home and prove. It's like we set out to prove that we're unreachable, unchangeable. Because we can't receive forgiveness. And it hardens you and it makes you angry. And then you self-destruct. Have you seen, it's been a long time, but have you seen the movie A River Runs Through It? How many of you have not seen that movie? Okay, you're going to need to leave right now and go watch it. Come back next week. No. Uh, this is an incredible movie. And I remember watching it for the first time. It's in Montana, so it's beautiful. Brad Pitt is a younger brother. He's got an older brother uh, who's Norman. His name's Paul. And uh, dad's a pastor. They live in this beautiful town. Dad is a sharp guy, uh, has loved his kids. In fact, his dad is through fly fishing and Montana life, which is just beautiful in the movie. Uh, he's, it's basically a movie about can, how did these two boys respond to their father's love. One of them is capable of receiving it, and the other just simply isn't. And when you watch the movie, it becomes very obvious something blocking this kid's ability to receive love. And it's, it's the character played by Brad Pitt. But this is sort of the message he sends to his kids. All good things, trout, as well as eternal salvation, come by grace. This is what he's trying to teach his kids. 
And, uh, but Paul has trouble accepting it. And there's a point in the movie where his brother's wife, because the whole family can see it, you can see it as a viewer. He's self-destructing. He's got everything. He's got all the love he could possibly need. And she says, his wife says, why is it that the people who need the most help won't take it? And then later in the movie, Paul himself sort of, in describing, somebody has described someone else, and he looks in on that situation and almost gives a commentary on that, talking about himself when he says, maybe what he likes is someone trying to help. If you want someone to try to help and you like that feeling, but it's not enough to change you on the inside, then you just keep doing things to make people want to keep trying to help you, but you never get out of your patterns. And that's where he ends up. And the good news for John, look what John says right here, and this is what we've got to learn. This is what we've got to get in our heads. God is greater than our heart. This is, listen, you can ponder this for the rest of your days, that God is greater than your heart. And it's a good thing because that's what he's trying to change. Uh, he, he's got to be able to manage that thing. And all of our sickness, and especially when it comes to sin, our guilt, got to help us. He is greater than our heart. Let's, let's ponder that. This is incredibly deep. It's incredibly good news. This is not just a general statement about how great God is. We know God is great. But God is great when it comes to this problem. That's John's point. Yeah, God's great. He's great when it comes to that sick heart. He's great at dealing with sin and all of its ramifications. And essentially what and essentially what John is saying right here is yes, your heart will condemn you. If God's greater than what's going on. Here's here's what he's saying. You're not the ultimate judge of you. You're not the ultimate judge of you. This is profound. God's going to say, I, I alone can condemn you, and I alone can forgive you. I alone can do, do that. Don't do my job. You don't have the authority or the resources to manage your sin problem. And then you see this little line in here, and it's not for any, not, it's for a reason. He knows everything. Here's the reason you can't condemn yourself. You don't know yourself well enough. As well as you know yourself, not enough. That means scary. This is a scary thought. This is a scary thought. Isn't that line scary? Wait a minute. What does he know? 
I'll tell you the first thing he knows. I'll give you three things quickly. Just You're worse than you think. Your heart is sicker than you even think it is. That's the first one. Second one, you couldn't punish yourself. <laughs> you couldn't punish yourself enough, nor could you work it off. In other words, so you condemn yourself, you're not smart enough to condemn yourself, you don't know enough to condemn yourself. You're just stuck. You can't punish yourself enough. And a lot of what we do to ourselves is sabotaging is to punish ourselves because we think we have to take those matters into our own hands, and all we do is make life worse. This is the reason why we can't manage our own sin because the way we go about it sabotages the very thing we're after. I had someone jokingly say to me here in the last two weeks. Boy, I do wish I believed in purgatory so I could just go after this life and just spend some time there just working off everything I can't do right. Wow. You got to have a bigger picture of God than that. The other thing is God knows how to deal with a damaged heart. This is the third thing. And he knows how to deal with failure and messes. So when you look at your messes, you're like, this is unsolvable. Now we're dead meat. I, I, I might as well just torch everything in my life because I've already done so much damage. The one thing I love about knowing God is that the worst things can be salvaged. They can't always be completely fixed in this life, but he can salvage, fix messes, and heal in ways nothing else on this planet can. He knows how to deal with damage done. He knows how to deal with evil in you and evil done to others. Uh, I, I jotted down in my notes, uh, he's the sin expert. He's the expert. You know what? We're looking for experts all the time. How many of you listen to podcasts all the time? Trying to find, find, trying to find out something you didn't know. People are yakking all day. Trying to get out information. You listen to it and you go, oh my gosh, you got to listen to that. And we just keep filling our heads with experts. Jesus is trying to say in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm the expert. <laughs> I'm the expert on the good life and, and being a good person. How come you don't listen to me? How come no one's taking my advice about sin management and guilt? This very same book, you talk about John wanting to know about sin management. He's the one who says right here at the beginning of the book, if we confess our sins, what's he faithful to do? Forgive it and cleanse. Anyone who does sin has an advocate 
Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that takes us out of the condemnation. He's capable of doing that. And this is, a, this is great. At some, there's a level at which God is not counting on you to solve your sin problem. He has made our sin his problem. This is, we don't love perfectly, Hillside, but he does. And John is going to tell us that because he knows he needs to. If he doesn't tell us this, we have nowhere to turn with the high standard and a condemning heart. This is what John tells us. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's God's love. This is, by the way, how God penetrates that heart and is greater than the condemning heart. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't love him. We don't love well, anyone, not even him. And he sent his son to, again, get us out of that condemnation. So we have come to know and believe that love of, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever, abide, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And here it is. By this is love perfected, that we may have confidence when? In the day of judgment. This is that guilt problem. This is the guilt problem. We didn't measure up. Judgment day is going to come. didn't measure up. We don't think judgment day all the time. But that's essentially what our conscience is telling us. There is no fear. What do you think this fear is generated by in light of the verse before? Say the word out loud. starts with a G. Rhymes with built. <laughs> what do you think it is? Guilt. It's not just scared. I'm scared of judgment because I know I don't meet the standard. Who's going to solve that problem for you, by the way? No one in your life can solve it, and you can't solve it. Again, we're talking about perfection in love. God loves us perfectly, even though we struggle to love. You need to hear God say to you today, we need to hear it. I'm not pleased with your self-loathing. I'm not pleased with your self-condemnation, your self-pity, and your self-punishment. I have come into the world to solve that problem. And that's where Christianity is nothing like anything else in the world. That's why what Jesus offers 
you can't find anywhere else. It isn't even offered anywhere else. Remember in the prodigal son, and this is why I want to drive this home, and I really want you to leave here with something that really can help this heart of yours and mine. There's the moment in the prodigal son, and if you've, by the way, if you've never read Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, fabulous, easy read and fabulous. One of the best things you'll ever read on the prodigal son. And his brother, by the way. Uh, Nouwen so astutely brings up this whole idea of, remember when the prodigal son, he's run away with the father's, you know, his inheritance early. He's abandoned his dad. He is in sin and lost everything. He could not be any lower. And he thinks to himself, because this is how the guilty heart thinks. You know, I'll go back to my dad because I'm out of resources now. I have no other resources. And in his mind, he says, in Luke 15, 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is what the guilty heart tells you. You cannot be a son. You will always be a slave. You will always have to be out in the field impressing God, working your guilt off. By the way, that's how the Buddhists interpret the prodigal son. He goes into the field and he works it off for the rest of his life. Because he thinks that somehow I'll be able to survive by my own hard labor. I'll solve this sin problem myself. And he never knows. He'll never know true forgiveness. I'll never really be a son. And guess what? And here's what the other thing that comes with that message to yourself. I'll never act like one either. The message to myself that I'm not a son and that I don't match up means I somehow get to start doing behaviors that prove that I'm not a son and I'm never held responsible to be a son. I get to just be the slave. This is what psychologists, by the way, called normalizing feelings where you get a behavior and you keep doing it because you don't want it to appear sporadic in your life. You just want it to be typical and normal. You don't want to stand out. Normalizing feelings. That's exactly what he was going to do. And Here is what happens in that story. We learn. The son, the prodigal son, doesn't get to set the terms of returning. He does not get to set the terms. <laughs> he gets to that door. Well, actually, to get to the door, he gets somewhere down the, the road because the father runs down there to get him. And he says, you put on this robe and you put on this ring and you put the sandals that I'm going to give on you and you sit at my table and you eat the feast that I'm preparing for you and you receive my grace and then you act like my son. That's the message. Grace makes you a son and makes you act like a son. And that's why you have any shot at being loving. 
not because you've mustered up the ability, but because your heart has been loved in a way that makes you love. Receiving forgiveness. This is what receiving forgiveness means. It's two things. I am a son, and I'm responsible to act like a son. I have been loved, right? I have been loved, so I will love. Grace is what transforms you, being loved like that, makes the heart capable of loving. Okay. So Psalm 103, uh, worthy of meditating on, by the way. just amazing to me that in a setting like this, in a corporate setting in Psalm, because that's that's when they would read these to each other, in a corporate setting just like this. And in this particular Psalm, they're told none of the normal issues that we normally consider when we gather together in worship today, we're just going to speak to our own souls about our guilt. And what a wonderful benefit it is to know God and to receive his grace. That's what Psalm 103 is about. The background of the psalm is the Israelites committing probably not only the worst sin, one of the worst things they did, the golden calf, but the worst time. God's up there writing laws for Moses to bring down to them, and they're down there. Isn't that you? The worst moment, the worst thing. It just couldn't be worse. And here's what the psalmist says. The Lord Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He bounds in steadfast love. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. And I love this verse. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. This is one of the great gifts of a father like God. Is that he knows how hard it is and what we're made of. And so a father like that offers grace. One of the things that I loved doing as a parent that I reflect back on now when my kids were little was finding the perfect moment to give them grace instead of what they knew they were going to get. And I made a big deal out of it. And I mean, I milked it. I, made, I wanted the fear to just crush them. And then grace to just release it. Those are great moments. Receiving grace is one of the greatest things in the world. And my son, Nicky, who was very little, still young enough to carry around a blanket. And I'll never forget saying to him, it's okay, son. You're forgiven. 
let's let it go. And I can, I can recall in my kids' lives, every one of them being stunned completely by this. Nikki said to me, Dad, thank you. I really need it. And then he said this, because I'm going to sin a lot. <laughs> and that turned out to be prophetic. <laughs> I have a little prophet born into my family. And God knows it. And you know, I'm sitting there as a dad going, I hate the thought of that, but I know it. And then God says this, and I'll just leave it with you. And somehow, listen, you are going to have to believe in your heart that God is greater than your condemning heart. And you're going to have to receive that forgiveness and stop the cycles that keep proving that you want to work your own problems out and accept God's grace. Don't be like Paul and river runs through it. Just keep on self-sabotaging because you want to prove you're unreachable. You're not unreachable. And you don't have the authority to speak that over your life. And so he, he has this thought in Psalm 103, 11 and 12. He says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And then you know this verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. This is the psalmist now trying to spatially demonstrate how vast God's forgiveness is. As high as the heavens, the galaxies, it's like the galaxy of salvation. And one commentator made this point. He goes, once pardoned, guilt can no more return than east can become west. It's done. Except the robe and the ring and the sandals and the feast. Receive the grace and then start acting like his child. John's argument for why God is greater than our condemning hearts is because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for sin. That is the official, divine, ultimate way that God has chosen to deal with sin. You cannot override it. You do have to receive it. And receiving it changes all the things that we do from the inside that sabotage our world. And it's the only way to change. Father, help us receive that love. It's that moment when we come to Christ and we immediately 
accept it. But later on, later on, as we live with our imperfect selves, we start to think maybe we're better off as slaves than sons. And John says, no, that is not true, and it will never be true. Help us to receive that today. In Jesus' name.